Welcome to Creative Couch, uh, a series of podcasts on innovation. Uh, and today we're going to be talking firstly about what is innovation, demystifying innovation. We're really lucky to have an amazing couch full of, uh, of people here today that I'm going to introduce to you in a minute. And then they're going to tell you a little bit about themselves as well. So we have Alex Lutyens from Creative HQ. Uh, we have Chris Jackson from We Create Futures. And we have Finn Lawrence from Mevo. Finn, would you like just to introduce yourself and give a little bit of information about what you do? So I'm uh, on the founding team of Mevo. So I've been working on it for sort of six or seven years at this point. Uh, my role is uh, the head of product, so I look after all of the digital side of the business as well as a lot of the other parts that make up our product, which is interaction with local government and pieces like that. Um, yeah, and uh, we uh, operate a set of mobile apps uh, that let you rent and unlock uh, a range of cars that we have throughout Auckland, Wellington, Hamilton for sort of short trips across town up to sort of a week away across the country and really run a mission to uh, offer a better alternative to owning a private car that you only use, you know, infrequently. Fantastic. Wow. Thank you. Uh, Chris? Uh, my name's Chris Jackson. I'm a partner at uh, We Create Futures. We're a strategic foresight, strategic innovation practice. Um, we work for clients ranging from uh, big clients like Meridian through to small Maori and Iwi um, trusts. So there's the uh, the sort of full gamut of uh, of different types of clients. Um, I've developed an art practice recently, so I've, I've just started doing some sculpture, and I do uh, I create digital products for designers to help them build more resilient careers. Fantastic! Just a few things. <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> Alex. I'm at Creative HQ, and I've been there for um, a year and a half now as a senior innovation specialist. But I can bring a perspective, really, from having worked in government and actually having gone between basically startup to government and then back into a really startup type of environment and able to see sort of the differences there. But I think I first got involved um, with innovation at the turn of the century <laughs> um, when I worked with Carter Holt Harvey and they were there with a tranche of sort of like-minded businesses trying to create internal business accelerators. Mm. And I worked with them on a, a, a program called Ideas to Business. Mm came down to Wellington, uh, eventually um, joined to own a company, a design company, then went and worked uh, with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and uh, have ended up here in um, Creative HQ. Lucky me. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I think we've almost touched on what the first question is going to be here is, you know, innovation has been around for such, the, the concept obviously has been around forever, but that term is so pervasive. It's everywhere. People throw it into strategic documents. They throw it into their values. And, and we're calling this, this series demystifying innovation for something that's so prevalent everywhere. Why does it need demystified? And, and it's because so many people see it in different ways. So the first question really is, how do you understand innovation? How would you define it? How do you see it in your day-to-day -day life and your organization? So I might kick off with, with Chris there in the middle, because you're, the, <laughs> you're the meat and the sandwich there. Uh, yeah, how, would, how would you define innovation? I put this out as a call on Twitter yesterday to, to try to get some different perspectives on on that, because it's all, it's almost like the term sustainability, right? It's It's... Almost lost, lost, uh, almost lost value in a way, and and it's and it's so um, either misunderstood or understood in different ways by different people. It's 
it's sort of misappropriated, reappropriated, all these different things. And there was no, no agreement on what it actually was. Mm. Uh, so many people had so many different perspectives that meant something to them, like quite, quite personally. Um, I, I, I think a main thread that came through and sort of resonated for me was, um, sort of applying value to ideas or, or, or taking ideas and, and turning them into something that creates value. So the, there's, there's this sort of spectrum from sort of invention to innovation and, and sometimes inventions, innovation, and sometimes innovation just sits up, uh, sits there on its own. But this idea that you, um, you take something, it has to be context specific, right? So something that creates value for your customers or audience or whatever it might be, uh, might not create audience, uh, uh, value for your audience or customers so it's something that's context specific to the thing that you're working in and then uh in in some sort of creative way taking those ideas uh and uh applying them to a solution that creates some form of value for your context I love your analogy, actually, because I agree with you, innovation is like sustainability. And people hear the word and they switch off, don't they? Yeah. And I cannot tell you the number of vision statements, corporate values, yeah. government values, where they, you see this big block of a word, innovation. <laughs> yeah. And it means nothing to people because yeah. they can't quite understand. But actually, additionally, it means nothing to people because it's currently just a word in those things yeah. rather than a culture. Mm. And so to me, so you've got big and small innovation. Mm. You've got the everyday innovation that you find suddenly that you're doing something different in your everyday life. Mm. And then you've actually got structured innovation, which mm. I think, you know, requires, you were saying earlier, Chris, it requires process. Mm. And so quite often, organisations will dump that big fat word in there and then not think about yeah. the culture and the process mm. for creating that. Mm. You're nodding there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I couldn't agree more with, with everything that um, you've both said. I guess sort of my perspective on it and how I would, um, you know, within my own um, part of the world and within my own sphere. For me, innovation is really, um, it's really the, the, what I would call the scientific method yeah. of inventing, you know, and developing new things, ideas, products, whatever it is, that deliver um, some value to somebody mm. that that wasn't there before, and you know um, whether we get into it today or not, you know there are a large number of kind of practices and methodologies that sort of hang under the banner of mm. innovation, um, because as you said, you know there's there's an idea, right? Um, but that's not that's not anything really yeah. valuable in itself. So mm. the question is, how do you get that to mm. you know what's the lever that you use to yeah. move something with that idea? And that lever is innovation for me. Yeah. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions here because quite often people will assume that to be innovative it needs to be new, whereas quite often you will find that there are things to be found that have always existed mm. that actually can create new value when used mm -hmm. in different mm -hmm. ways. And so I'm always cautious about um, planting this idea that innovation has to be a new idea. Mm -hmm. So what's, how, do you, how do you find that? Uh, Dave Snowden, who's a, who's a big uh, complexity thinker, who, who, who we sort of follow a, a lot and admire his work greatly, talks a lot about acceptation. Uh -huh. So, so the uh, a really good example of that is 
um, dinosaurs had feathers for uh, for for display and attracted mates, and, and one fell out a tree and flew. So having these things within your organisation that you can start to identify and repurpose rather than looking at some sort of future state to go, that's what we want to do. Let's build all these capabilities to try and leap to that place. Uh, and, and rather than doing that, actually looking at what exists now and people and their capabilities and, and their sort of desires and what they want to do and and resources and, and other things like that to go, can we use these things differently? Can we, what do we have now? And how can that take us forward? That's, I love that. that. And you used a very big word I there. Know. What was it? Exactation. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to do a little snap it's, here. It's just repurposing. And talk about effectuation. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a word that lovely Colin introduced into our organisation. Hmm. And um, it's exactly what you're saying. It's starting by looking at what it is that you have, hmm. and particularly what it is that you have that others may not have, that, mm. that gives you some sort of an advantage. And so you're starting from somewhere quite known, quite mm. safe, but then you're looking for the potential and the possibilities that sit outside that. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think I tend to think about this uh, in a sort of systematic sense, um, using uh, the sort of Larry Keeley and Doblin, the 10 types of innovation model. So great one to Google if, you, if you're not familiar with it, because they've got really good resources, you know, books, uh, decks of cards and things. But um, for me, that's a really uh, kind of good way to put things into categories and into boxes and to say, wh where are we actually innovating as an organisation? Where are we, um, you know, where are we against other similar organisations, maybe competitors, if you wanted to look at it that way? You know, I can give you an example of something that's not, that's not new that I would call, you know, an innovation um, that we've done at Mevo, right? And one of the things that I would say, and I'd put it in the, um, you know, network category of the 10 types of innovation, is working really constructively with local government. That's not necessarily a new thing. It's not, um, you know, anything that, uh, you know, hasn't happened before. Um, but it is, it, it is an interesting proposition for what you could say is just a car rental company to work really closely with local government to say how can we adapt this idea of people renting cars to actually replace private car ownership and to complement public and active transport. Um, and I find that these frameworks that exist, and you know there are lots of tools out there, really help me to put things that we do into kind of logical buckets and say, that's cool, well I can see that we're doing these four things, but actually there are six others, so wh where else can we be thinking about this? I Do you know what really fascinates me about what you just said, um, Finn, is that you're talking about structure, which is the sort of the known, but then you're layering on something that's the unexpected. And, you know, I love 10 types of um, innovation too, because it's so structured and everybody can use it. Uh, so it can help you there. But the richness of it is when you get really diverse voices in there. So you're getting, and that's what I think you have to introduce to these structured processes. You have to introduce that diversity, that unexpectedness of voice, don't you? And I think that's sort of coming back to what you said at the beginning, right? Which is that innovation is ultimately customised to mm. you and your organisation and your context, because you can have these tools and you can have, you know, some ideas and whoever, you know, in the room, but ultimately, uh, you know, things are going to be more successful when you layer on your own context and your own yeah. mission and all those other things into tools, frameworks, processes, whatever that might exist. And I, 
And I think part of the rub there, though, is that we've been sort of, um, we've been educated to think that we can look at a process like a design thinking process and it's these five steps that we go through and and we can take this thing and we can go through the five steps and then get at the end of it and go, here's an innovation. Whereas the actual process of innovation is so much more, uh, it it isn't linear, it's really messy. There's lots of different work that goes on in the background to make things happen, like connecting people, dealing with politics. Like there's, there's all this other stuff that happens just to make something real that these, these sort of things, when you see them of just do this thing and all the, all these things happen. And it's like, no, it's not quite like that. And that's why having people who actually know what they're doing and, and have had some experience to be able to go, we, we, we've done that before. It didn't sort of work like that. Look, look let's try this over here or that tool's good over there but you're using it like oh maybe we should use that tool in 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 this way because we've not done it before but let's have the openness to experiment to do that and i think that's what challenges organizations sometimes that um i don't like using the word mindsets necessarily but building the cultures or 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 creating the environments where these cultures emerge is part of being able to to be successful as well, right? Well, let, let's, let's take it from there, actually, because, you know, I've just listened down, listening down some of the words that you've used. And I've always described innovation as a messy discipline. So lovely to hear the word messy there. But you've, you've used value, repurpose, unexpected, structure, diverse, context-specific, experimental. I mean, we're getting a really good idea of the nuance of how how you could define innovation. And, and it's, you know, you, I'm sure if you ask 100 people, you're going to get 100 different definitions of it, which, <laughs> yeah. which we can see. But let's, let's change tack slightly and, and think about this question, is why? why? Why do we feel innovation is important? If all of the things we've said here gives us an idea of, of what it is, but why? And, you know, there, there's a lovely phrase, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, innovation is survival. Mm. Is, is that true or is it, is it a nice to have? You know, how, how do you see it, particularly looking maybe starting with you, Finn, in the, in the startup world, why do you need to innovate? Yeah, look, I mean, I think for me, the way that I see m- my job, um, you know, in my capacity as a, as a founder and, and as someone who, you know, is out there um, doing something new and asking other people to believe and, you know, invest money sometimes and these types of things. And it really, um, for me, innovation is a method to take risk off the table and that's in a business context right doing something new is very risky um it's very uncertain how do you get around that and the answer is you innovate and you innovate to remove risk and to get certainty and to develop and mature your idea um i think the other thing for me is that um you know uh, there's just you know i don't know if everyone's familiar with the concept of entropy but like everything just eventually you know breaks down right like whether it's buildings or you know the earth or whatever over over sufficient timelines and you know as people in the world like doing new things and doing them in a systematic way to actually make stuff is a you know it's an actual way that we can just sort of fight the the general entropy of the universe breaking everything down so that's sort of a a bit of a yeah well i mean i don't know it's like it's like everything you know i always sort of bring it back to that it's like well if you're not gonna you know do something new and try and try and sort of um yeah put something out there then yeah then in a way everything's just kind of slowly but you know 
I love that. That's yeah. that's. I mean, I haven't thought about it that way. That, that's yeah. lovely. I, I want to eventually, thankfully, we're going to get back to this topic of, of strategic foresight because I believe, you know, in terms of why we innovate, whenever you're working with organisations and you're mm. talking about that, looking forward, looking to the future, mm. you must get this quite a bit. You're looking at people thinking, oh, <laughs> are you just are you just happy standing still? Uh, what what do you what do you feel? How would what, how would you define or describe why we have this impulse to innovate? Uh, I I think to build on Finn's point and 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 to answer that previous question, if if you're not doing something new, you're standing still, and inertia is the path to failure. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, any organisation who's who's just who's just sat in this world at, at the moment, going, w we're fine, like nothing's changing for us, we're just happy doing what we're doing. Then y you're looking at a sort of death spiral. So be, being able to do new things and, and run experiments to sort of t test out what might be successful for you in a, we, I mean, foresight practitioners, futurists, whatever, talk, talk a lot about VUCA. Like we, we, we live in a VUCA world, one that's volatile and certain complex and ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, and, and in that world, you don't know the connections between things. You don't understand what's going to happen next. And, and you have to experiment and probe in a way that helps you um, make sense of complexity, right? And and that is part of, of that process. Um, I think what's interesting and what we don't talk about enough is that there's a perception that innovation is universally good. And that, and that we're, we're, you know, we're, we're constantly fed these, um, these stories about whether it's Silicon Valley or Silicon Roundabout or, or whatever else it is. It, it's, there, there's new things happening. There's, there's new value being created. We're, we're a billion dollar unicorn with this, with that and the other. And I, I think more and more in the past sort of five years, we've started to look more at, but what have been the unintended consequences of, of these things that we've done? So whether it's Uber or it's Facebook or or, or it's what whatever else it is, uh, we're starting to realise. And and whether you go back to the industrial revolution and the pyramids and before those decisions that were made were, you know, like in in terms of what's happening in in climate or whatever else it is, we we feel those consequences even two hundred years on, right? Or, or however long that is. I think what our work does really well with for clients is it helps them think about what different futures might look like. So so there is no one future that we're, we're, we're told that this is the future of work, this is the future of tech, this is the future of this. So that creates a natural gravitas for people to go, oh, it is, so, so we should be investing in that. And when people invest in that, they make that future more likely, right? But what they don't realize is that the future is not defined. There are many, many different futures. And by taking control of things yourself and putting things into the world, you create outbound change that has an effect on the world. Um, and, and I think what foresight does really well is it helps people think about that. It, it creates new constraints for them to be more creative than they can in the present, but it also really surfaces people's assumptions about the present and the future. We make so many assumptions about what is happening now, what we what we think will happen, and we don't 
we're never, they're always quite tacit assumptions and we think everyone thinks like us and then we get into a room and do a workshop yeah. and go, why is this workshop not working? Because we're saying the same words, but we don't have the same perspective on, on how we're actually thinking about these things and that's never shared. So uh, that's, that's part of our work to surface some of those things. Uh, and and help people think critically and creatively about the future so they can innovate in the present. Yeah. Nice. Alex, you know, we, we, with Critic SQ, work is probably very similar to Chris with a, a multitude of different clients who have, have different needs. Do you have a, a sense of why people come to organisations like We Create Futures or Creative HQ? What's, what's their driver? I mean, we, we've heard for some, you know, there's no one future there. We've, we've heard about inertia being a death spiral. We've heard about the question of, you know, is innovation actually a good thing? You know, all, all of those are, are reasons why and maybe why not to innovate. What, what do you see in, in your work? So the first thing is I just want to build on both of what. So I would agree with you that um, innovation is actually the human condition. And in fact, not just the human, the planetary condition. Mm. I don't know if you read an article today about the gorgeous octopus using castaway plastic now to um, protect their, their young and their babies. So they're adapting. But what we're going to do is set up a farm in Spain to industrially farm octopuses to make them into food. <laughs> I, I just find things like this, yeah. these like big... You know, these big uh, contrasting things. I love octopuses personally, so it triggers me because oh, I'm like, octopuses are amazing. I think it's octopi. Well, octopi, <laughs> yeah, sorry, octopi. Just to be technically correct. Oh, just be beautiful. Yeah, so sorry. But just to agree with you that yeah. um, I think it's that. And where where it is not in action or has got movement, things die because it is, it is basically life yeah. movement. And secondly, to agree with you that I think... Uh, you may be familiar with that Venn diagram around testing your solutions. Are they desirable? Mm -hmm. Are they viable? So desirable, do people want them? Viable, uh, will, will they make good business sense? Feasible, can you do them? But recently, in, I'd say in the last two years, we've been adding a separate and fourth circle to that, which is, does your solution have integrity? Mm. Will it create impact? And I would say that that is something that is only just beginning to make its yeah. way through mm. into the consciousness of innovation. Mm. For the very reasons you talk about, what's the impact we're going to have? Mm. And are we actually looking at this holistically? So just to agree with both of you, I really like where you're going. I find that we're all thinking very similarly. Yeah. So, you know, we need some diversity here <laughs> yeah. on this couch. People come to organisations like ours, come to work for companies like Mevo because they are looking for breaking out, I reckon, breaking the rules. They're looking for organisations that are not driven by hierarchy. Hierarchy is the biggest uh, sort of suffocator, I think. And in the organisations I've worked on, you will see that often if you're right at the top level, you're saying, go do it, guys, go do it, guys. Yeah. You then get a caution in the middle, yeah. which makes it way through to the very bottom, yeah. who create myths. They create myths about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Yeah. And so innovation gets completely suffocated at that level. So when people can break out of those environments and come to places like ours, where the hierarchy is pretty, pretty flat, yeah. but our attitude is give it a go, mm. try it. Don't invest a huge amount of time mm. in it so that you're going to waste a lot of money and put mm. yourself at risk, but give it a go. See how it works. We'll help take the barriers away. And I think that that's what people are looking for when they come to organisations like ours. Mm. Our job is both to help them do that, 
but then to make sure that the cultures that they're working back in are accommodating of this change of mindset, this change of approach, because they can come to our organizations, learn these tool, tool sets, work in different ways, but if they can't then go back into environments that make that possible to keep that yeah. life going. So Alex, you know, so, yeah, creating a culture of innovation in an organization, yeah. absolutely. But you mentioned before how myths can suffocate yeah. innovation so, and, and, and taking away the barriers. Yeah, and, and you know, there's so much that we've said and talked about already that's indicated that we, as you say, maybe there's not a lot of diversity in the couch, but we're, we're believers in innovation. We, we understand there's a need for it, whatever innovation may look like. But there are barriers potentially to innovation in many different ways and, and, and many different facets. You know, having just mentioned myth being, you know, myth busting being one of them, what other barriers do you see in organisations or in our day to day life that can hold back innovation? First one is fear. I reckon um, if people are in environments where they are either punished if they fail, mm. made to feel stupid, or if they're inexpert, made to feel inexpert, because basically we all suffer a little bit from this imposter syndrome in whatever environment. So the first, the first barrier is fear. I think the second barrier is um, the myths around creating what the rules are even if those rules aren't anywhere they get perpetuated and they tell you that you can only act like this so you get a whole organization acting like that the third i think is hierarchy the fourth is uh how curiosity gets sort of sapped out of organizations because it sort of gets punished and part of this is not we've got to get that done in this short period of time this is the deadline we have to know the outcomes right from the beginning we have to know the outcomes because you've got to put a business case together when we together put the business case in we yeah. want so, yeah. so what are you going to do well, tell us what you're going to do, yeah. We're going to, and, and then we'll give you the money. Yeah. It's, it's so, and so there's no adaptive. Yeah. So there's What's no What's the adaptive. result you're going to get now? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's jump. Let's thank you, Alex. But let's jump to Finn. Okay. So here's a here's a, you know, can you afford to be innovative? <laughs> you know, you're asking about business cases. I mean, can Mevo have a business case realistically that supports innovation? Yes, absolutely. And I think you. I think it's, I think that it's the classic, um, the classic known versus kind of unknown cost. Um, you know, uh, I know it's a bit of a, you know, paraded around example, but I think you know, in the early two thousands, Kodak probably said, you know, well look, we we just can't afford to, you know, try and get onto this digital camera thing, even though we invented the technology. You know, it's going to cannibalize our whole our whole film business. We're not going to be able to sell any film, right? Um, what they didn't do was think about the cost of not innovating, right? Yeah. So there's a cost to that too. And, you know, in in my role in my life, what's the cost of not innovating? And the cost of not innovating is that we keep, you know, buying, you know, 0.85 cars per person and that we keep not investing in, you know, public transport and dense walkable communities. And we, you know, keep building out suburbs and motorways and this kind of, you know, the price of fuel keeps going up, right? Like, um... So yeah, I think you know the 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 important thing to analyze is you know what's the cost of not innovating, right? Because then you have a counterfactual. Otherwise, you're just you're just ignoring one side of the equation. Awesome answer. I'll just you know to take that to Chris because again you work with so many organizations. It's a bit of a throwaway line, isn't it? Oh, the cost of not innovating could be very high. Could. <laughs> what, what what do you say, man? Did you get into these conversations? 
it, it's I mean it it just it just varies between clients, right? Mevo have a disposition a disposition to innovate because that's the space that they're in 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 terms of transport and electrification and and all of these other things. It, it's it's a topical sort of fast moving environment, right? Uh, big government agencies are, are still locked into. Uh, ways to fund projects and ways to do things that can in inhibit doing new stuff just because of the they 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 spend public money right but there's there's lots of good people trying to do it trying to do really innovative stuff within government as well uh i think innovation can be really really low cost it doesn't have to be like super expensive tech orientated things and and um we see it, and and if we think about innovation in a in a sort of bigger and more general sense, uh, myself and uh, my business partner were talking about this, and and he was talking about um, the the democratization of platforms, right, from the for, from the printing press to the internet to whatever it is that's going to come next, uh, the the wheel before that, or, or uh, these these platforms that enable people to build on top of them, whether, whether it's, uh, it's something like Amazon web services or, or, or things like that, that enable people to experiment and do things really, really cheaply. Like, and, and, and it's really about how do you help like create an environment for people to do that, support them, create systems and processes and incentivize people, whether that's, uh, whether you you build on people's intrinsic motivation to do things, to want to, that their curiosity is designers or whatever, whoever's in your organisation. Uh, and then there's extrinsic motivation uh, that thinks about innovation in, in in different ways. Like it's not just about we're, we're going to do this and, and if you're successful, then we're going to reward you. It's almost like, if you do this and you fail a few times and 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 there's something that creates value within that and maybe it's not the thing that we thought it was going to be you know that's how you really start to support that um that 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 sort of disposition for people to retain that curiosity encourage them to be experimental and and if we stop using the word innovation and 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 said how can you help people take their ideas and new ideas and experiment with them and 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 see if there's something in them i think that's a that's a lot less um of an intimidating thing to do than go let's set up an innovation department and it's going to be this and that and we're, and we're going to have ping pong tables and all, all of these things that we see in silicon valley and that's what we need to do it's like no we can do smaller things uh, uh that, are, that are more meaningful to people and put so, so, some faith in our people that work with us uh and 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 try and create some of those environments that that aren't it's and it's not hugely expensive to do so if you were to get rid of ping pong tables what would you put in instead uh pool tables or arcades <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Books. Oh, Books. controversial libraries yeah. <laughs> one of the things that i'm interested in exploring and getting perspectives on is this idea of time so a lot of um, a lot of the sort of the startup, the sprint based approach mm. is about, you know, doing it 
iteratively doing it agilely, doing it fast, mm-hmm. uh, testing, doing it fast, doing it fast and testing so that you never get to invest too much time or energy in something that's not going to work. But there are other dynamics here that are really interesting for us. One is around what it takes to be robust, what it takes to be inclusive. And, you know, certainly in a lot of our um, our, our work, how it is to be a titility partner. Mm. So um, so that is obviously about partnership from the very beginning and in, with Tangata Whenua. And in those partnerships, of course, there has to be time allowed to make sure that everybody uh, it is available to begin the process at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I find this is one of the really interesting tensions to think about in innovation, how you manage the right sort of fast, slow process. And I wondered if either of you had perspectives on that. I think in terms of social innovation, some of the stuff that's happening in New Zealand is probably leading the world, but not many people know about it. Yeah. So so things that are happening in in South Auckland with the South yeah. South Auckland initiative and and uh, and out of the co-design lab and everything that sprung out of that uh, in 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 terms of also um, and indigenous thinking tail Maori I ideas of uh, regeneration that that lots of Western organizations are, are, are now sort of once again um, Sort of rediscovering, really, which are part of Maoridom, yeah. <laughs> like for the, for centuries and centuries. We do we do world leading stuff in in terms of social innovation, and it's on much longer timescales. It's about place based innovation. It's about um, the idea that you don't, as, as a designer or social innovator, whatever that is, you don't just drop in, do your thing, and drop out. This idea of complexity that when you're in a place and you do things with people, you create change in the environment. That change creates other change and you need to be there to work in and lean into that change as well. So it, uh, it's, it's a very different dynamic. It's, it's a very different perceivably value system or also that, that happens within those spaces. And it's, uh, I I think it's much more connected to a sense of place, and th- and those ideas are starting to filter through more to to what you would call corporate innovation. From that perspective, they are seeping through slowly, and 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 there are lots of different reasons for that. But I, it, it's welcome to me, but it challenges that whole idea of. Silicon Valley-esque, you know, sprint base. Let's do these things really quickly and then get on. And, and so that, that combination to us of, of those types of regenerative methods with challenging, uh, people's assumptions of the future and, and then combining that with some sort of process that balances the needs of the organization with in, in terms of time and budget or whatever that might be, but with, once again, coming back to the idea of being context specific, Absolutely. that idea there needs some of this, but this idea over there might need something else. So, so really being mindful of some of that stuff is really important. I and think. I think a lot of that is just about being able to identify and, you know, um, uh, express your own contexts and things that you might just think are defaults, right? Mm. You know, the, the scientific method works for, you know, explosive chemistry and for geology right things that are on totally different timescales and for me so does innovation right because you know i think of it as as part of you know it is a science and i think you know um 
something that we're very big on as an organization is, uh, you know, mission, values, and um, problem. And then, you know, sort of like your objectives, right? And one of the things that I see, especially with, you know, the Silicon Valley thing, is that there's just this baked-in thing that more more cash flow, more free cash flow, more profit, more valuation is just a good thing mm. at the expense of sometimes a lot of other things, right? And, you know, nowhere in, I think, anyone's definition of innovation would it say that, you know, by default. Mm. Or, or maybe it would, but if it does, I think that's a problem. Like, you mm. need to start taking that stuff out and saying, actually, you know, maybe our outcome is the, you know, well-being and kind of, you know, general... Um, mood of our our people, or 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 whatever it might be, right? Um, you know, environmental outcomes, all these things. But having, you know, values, things that you will do, that you won't do, that you believe, that you do not believe, um, and having, uh, you know, outcomes that you're looking for defined at the beginning, um, is really important. And I think it's difficult to start without agreement on that. And I think that's why, perhaps that, you know, sometimes there can be a perception that doing some types of innovation might be slower, but you know, I don't think, I, I think if you can get agreement, if you can get buy-in, if you can get a group of people around a table or in a room believing the same things, then you can innovate at speed anyway. I love that. And I think, you know, that reframing of innovation away from how it's been understood, which is just the do it fast, the Silicon Valley, yeah. to, to acknowledging that there is a part for that. Yeah. But it's that, it's that fourth integrity impact side sorry but but that's a confidence thing or i mm. i think that's a confidence thing for new zealand also that, yeah. that we always feel like we're 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 at the bottom of the world we're missing out on things these people are doing this we, we see all these <laughs> stories and all, all of the marketing comes out of you know new york or san francisco or london or yeah. paris or whatever it is and we see all these things and it's like we're not doing that we should be doing these things and 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 i really think over the probably past five years particularly we've grown in a cultural confidence to mm -hmm. go actually we do stuff here slightly differently and we can take these things and and, and we can bricolage them in our own ways but we're in a different place we're we don't have billions of dollars just being thrown at us by a anyone that makes a mate uh, wants to make billions more dollars. So, so how do we do things that uh, isn't necessarily number eight wire? And when I came to New Zealand, like everyone was really down <laughs> on this idea of sort of number eight wire going. Yeah. We shouldn't be thinking number eight wire. We've got to be like we have to move beyond this. And and We're I came fancier thinking than that. DIY and like number eight wire yeah. is what you should be doing yeah, now. Like absolutely. this is the time to do it. Mm. Uh, so that that cultural uh, sort of uh, history of doing things and, and like innovating in that number eight wire way. But now with some more access to te technology and uh, a more evolved sort of people coming from all over the world, whatever that might be, that sort of melting pot with Te Ao Māori and, uh, and all these other things coming together. I, I think that's a, r a really exciting place yep. to be now. Absolutely. And I think, I think <clears throat> in New Zealand especially, there is an opportunity to lead, you know, a new definition of value from mm, innovation, right? What's mm. what's a billion dollars worth? It's worth a billion dollars, right? Yeah. What's culture worth? Right. It. What's yeah. an environment worth? Yeah. Right. So, you know, how do you put prices on these things that are a little more intangible and start yeah. to say, well actually, you know, here's here's what we're doing here and here's yeah. how we're innovating. And, you know, by your yardstick, yeah. You know, you might have trouble measuring it, but you know, 
in your yardstick, every dollar is just worth a dollar. Like, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that because I think that it brings this futures thinking, which, again, you know, if you think of the values that we get um, generously from Te Māori in mm. terms of looking seven generations mm -hmm. forward. So that whole future casting, but future casting to take care of mm. things so that, you know, your mokapuna can live in a world that... So the first thing is that. And then the second thing is, again, the international brand of New Zealand, which is already so well known for being a values-based brand and I love that idea of the New Zealand take on innovation. Mm -hmm. So if, you know just to wrap that, that, that up a little bit is really one of the biggest barriers that we have is fear and fear shows itself manifests in different ways It's fear around resourcing and costing and that could be time the time that it takes uh, it could be around a lack of confidence uh, it could be around uh, the myths that are, that are embedded within the, both within the organization intrinsically and extrinsically in terms of what what do you feel you can engage with outside there's also this feeling about hierarchy, this top-down within organisational structure, uh, that innovation needs to be both top-down and bottom-up uh, simultaneously. Uh, and also it's around that sucking out of, uh, of curiosity as well. So there's a, there's a number of fears, there's a number of issues there that... Um, that while you know looking forward into the future, the idea of New Zealand being a leader in this space, we still have to confront yeah. some of those genuine barriers that are that are sitting there. I mean, later on in other episodes, uh, we're go we are going to talk a little bit about setting innovation KPIs. How do you do that? Well, what does a return on innovation investment look like? So we're going to have a talk about that. But also it's interesting, we talk about New Zealand as a leader in this space in terms of a different way of looking at innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll talk about this in other episodes, but. The latest OECD uh, statistics on New Zealand and different measuring different types of innovation, be it in science R&D or business R&D, expenditure, uh, venture capital, ease of entrepreneurship index, New Zealand has slipped over, ridiculously <laughs> slipped over the last couple of years, down to uh, 15th on, on science R&D, to 32nd out of 44 in business R&D, 32nd on venture capital, 26th on ease of entrepreneurship, 20th in science and technology uh, employment. Um, I mean, it, all those measures were slipping. So it's really interesting to feel that there's a real optimism of, hey, okay, that's just one angle of innovation, but there's a lot of other ways that we can measure innovation, and New Zealand actually has positioned itself to be in a really strong space to take this conversation forward. Um, we, we're going we're gonna to wrap up there. We've had, I feel, a, a really, well, I mean, I've got the best job in the world today just listening to you guys, but we've covered a lot. We've talked about, you know, what is innovation? We've talked about why is it important? We've talked about what are some of the things that could trip us up as we try to, to you know, help organisations and, and the country take those first steps forward in a new way of understanding what innovation might be. Um, just very finally, just to wrap up, I want to give you all an opportunity just to, if there are any final thoughts that you might have that you just want to share, um, and we'll start with, with Alex and move back towards... Well, I'll start where you left off. You know, when you look at those OECD indicators, I just wonder, you know, how they fit with contemporary thinking in terms of things like the wellbeing framework, in terms of thinking about how we partner with Māori and learn from the gifts that they give us. So I wouldn't be so... I suppose I wouldn't be so worried about those. I would be saying, what are the innovation factors that we really care about that will make us uh, um, a harmonious result resilient, creative um, country in the way we want to be with this particular, the unique aspects that come from our Tetiriti partnership. Lovely, thank you, Alex. Uh, 
I I think yeah, the, there's there's no doubt there's some challenges, right? And and especially over the last two years, we've we've been sort of even in the last couple of weeks, challenges keep on emerging, uh, and. And I know firsthand. I, I have I have friends who are CEOs in tech companies and 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 who are in, involved in different things. And there's no doubt that um, I think with the innovation that's happened around remote work and all these other things, that creates its own problems for New Zealand as well. Because coming to New Zealand and working and being in the environment and the lifestyle and everything else was a key driver to get people to come here right and now it's people go well i can work from from anywhere and i can earn us money and i can earn australian money and i can uh, and i can earn uk money from nelson or from wellington or from wherever else so uh there's there's no doubt that there's challenges in terms of capital and uh expertise and knowledge but i i i don't think there's things that we can't start to address or 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 governments can't start to um, to think about right. I I think there's a couple of other things just about um, just to round out on two different things of different forms of innovation. Right. I I I think people get scared by this idea of disruptive innovation. We're always being told that we're going to get disrupted and something's going to happen and the, and the, and there's all these big things. And that can be quite paralyzing sometimes to think, well, how, how are we going to tackle the next Uber coming into our space and doing something? Or if Amazon come in and do something to us, and, and it, and it's, and it's quite a scary prospect. Um, so this idea of incremental innovation, what can we do in like smaller steps with things that we have now and create value? And as we act, new things emerge. And when we don't act, we don't discover that stuff. So to to me, thinking incrementally is really really important. And and yes, there's disruptive innovation, and and I have I, I know lots of people who, who sort of deal in that, and and that's their jam, and that's super cool. But I've always talked a lot about incremental innovation because it's unglamorous, it's not sexy, it's <laughs> not the stuff that you talk about at conferences, but it's the stuff that can create traction within your organisation. I might just um, have to just very quickly I'll give yeah. you 30 seconds to say what the second part is. And the last thing is about we don't often think enough about um, about fixing things and maintaining things. So we like to create new stuff yeah. and then we move <laughs> on and create something new. But how do we carry on fixing things and, and how do we carry on maintaining things as well? Love it. Thank you. Last word. Yeah, um, I guess... For me, uh, just on what you're saying with the OECD indexes for New Zealand, I think I'd frame it as, as, you know, I think a problem to solve and then what the opportunity is at the back of that. You know, I think, um, I don't know, I think some people would disagree with me, but I think one of the biggest things that will be um, hurting the innovation space in New Zealand at the moment is how we're treating our housing as a class of asset mm. rather than as a utility mm. um, and I think that's a systemic problem that we need to do something about in this country because we're really you know way 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 now past any other comparable country in terms of how people are putting their money to work and it's not productive um, and you know it hurts us on the back end in terms of all these other indicators that are moving in the wrong direction around housing affordability and you know people's livelihoods and things like that um, I think the opportunity then is 
how do we use New Zealand's place in the world? So I think our our, our distance, you know, historically from other uh, places and from, you know, larger populations of people is what's brought up the number eight wire mentality, right? We have to do things, we have to fix things, make it work here. Mm. Um, and how do we do that? Uh, yeah, how do we continue to do that and foster more of that? How do we build on New Zealand's kind of innovative history? Um, and then also how do we use, you know, Te Ao Māori and, you know, these other diverse worldviews and cultures that we have in New Zealand to really kind of redefine what innovation can look like and, yeah, um, really get some really good outcomes for everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for being guests on our Creative Couch today. Really appreciate your time uh, and your, your insights. It's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, that brings to the end this episode. Uh, we will be moving on to another episode, uh, episode two, which will be looking at why is innovation essential to your organization's uh, growth and survival? Thank you. <laughs>